Senior Bowl week is here. Jet Nation was there live to check it out. Myself and Dylan Perriman down here in Mobile for the week. Kind of let you know and talk about a story of the New York Daily News. Um, we'll, we'll jump right off with that, Dylan, for anyone who missed it. Um, Rich Samidi saying that Joe Douglas, the talk in scouting circles, is that Joe Douglas is is very high on Talis Fuaga, who did a fantastic job today. Dylan, what were your, what were your thoughts on Fuaga today, and, and what are your thoughts on, on this story that Douglas already has him in the crosshairs? Yeah, yeah, first off, I do want to say this is a pretty special podcast because not only are we in the same country, we're in the same state, but we're in the same house. For those of you that don't know, Glenn and I have never met before in person, only on on Skype or StreamYard doing these shows. So now he's just one room over there, and this has been a blast so far. But yeah, as far as the report with Tuis Fuaga, I mean... Did Joe Douglas just wake up and realize that Tuis Fulag is a good player? Because I feel like Jets fans have been saying that for many, many weeks now. So, yeah, I, I love to hear it, that he is targeting Tuis Fuaga. Obviously, I don't know if this is an actual true report by Rich Shemini or not. We would love to believe it if you like Tuis Fuaga. But, yeah, he dominated today. There was the, the rep going viral against Leatu Latu from UCLA, and he kind of dumped him into the dirt. So, But he had his reps, you know. But uh, ultimately, yeah, this is a top 10 prospect, probably one of the highest projected prospects at the Senior Bowl in totality. Yep. So super excited to see him. And if the Jets end up do, like landing him, this is going to be fun because a lot of Jets fans are going to know about him already from everything we've heard. I know Connor Rogers pumps him up as, you know, a true right tackle that the Jets should really be keying in on. And, and that, that makes waves. So if the Jets fans know about him and Joe Douglas is finally keying on to him, yeah, this is going to be an exciting draft process. Well, I think that's what Samini was saying, was that it was actually months ago that Douglas started keying on him. Um, and now it's it's sort of as the draft is nearing and 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 his name is gaining momentum. You know, you know me. I'm a Bowers guy. I want Bowers. But if you're going to take a tackle – you love the idea of taking a guy who has the versatility to play both spots. Fuaga doesn't have that. That being said, I would 100% take that guy on my team. I actually tweeted out, I don't know, a month or two ago um, after watching him. And he's just a dominant guy. He's a, he's a, he's a physical presence who, who – and, you know, the, the way I've, I've referred to him, he's just a tone setter. He's that nasty mauler up front who you want. Um, you want your running back to be able to run behind. And, and we saw it today, just a, a really good tackle prospect. I thought he was the best guy out there. Um, Guyton from Oklahoma had a good day too. Um, but, you know, so people will bounce back and forth who they saw more. And that and that's a, it's an important thing to remember here when you're talking about these players. Um, and I knew it would be the case. Having done Jets camp several times, I know what it's like trying to keep an eye on what's happening when you've got 90 players. I think the Senior Bowl's got 130 so there, you are going to miss way more than you are going to see, even with Dylan and I splitting up into different sides of the field to get as much content as possible. Um, but we'll start with that. We'll, we'll, the, the national team practice first, Jeff Ulbricht's group. Um, I'll go through my notes, and then uh, and Dylan can go through his. There may, there may be some repetition because there were times we were together and did see certain things that we agreed on, um, and then we split when the teams split and things like that. And I know fans don't care about defensive players. They only want to hear about offense. But I'm just going to tell you what we saw. And I'm, I, I apologize if a defensive player had a good day, um, but we're going to tell you about it. So 
and that is where we where we will start because the first guy of the day, Dylan, and I think we both commented on it simultaneously, um, was Gabe Hall out of Baylor, the defensive lineman. Um, of all the guys, you know, hitting the pads, like he was the dude that it, you heard the pop and you heard it echo through the stadium. He, just really, really powerful, heavy hands, and that was just again, that was just when they were hitting the pads. Then when they went to the goal line stuff, the you know the one on ones that he was he was unblockable. Um, I, I think he won every rep, and we saw a variety of moves. You know, we saw arm over, we saw swim. So Gabe Hall, really to me, the most disruptive defensive player of the day, consistently the most disruptive defensive player of the day. Again, Talise Fawaga, we mentioned, and as Dylan said, you know, there's a couple viral clips of him going around. Um, Johnny Dixon had a rough day, uh, a rough stretch. Dylan, you you were watching that more closely. I saw it from a park. I happened to look over when he got flagged, and you said he got flagged three plays in a row. Um, trying to was that against Rice? Was that against? Uh... Yeah. So so basically, the breakdown for today: Glenn watched O line, D line, majority. I watched wide receiver DB majority tomorrow. We're going to try to flip and then see what kind of notes we come up with. But yeah, um, the first thing that stuck out to me was that Johnny Dixon, Penn State cornerback, went up against Brendan Rice, obviously son of Jerry Rice, three separate times in the one-on-one drills, three times resulted in a penalty, and still three times Brendan Rice came down with the pass. So just super, you know, Super excited to see that matchup. Obviously, I wasn't really keen on Dixon uh, coming into the process, but I've been studying Brendan Rice because wide receiver is one of those positions that the Jets absolutely need. So that was a good matchup. Um, There's a couple other guys um, in the wide receiver group that stuck out to me. And I think the one guy that you've brought to my attention the most is Luke McCaffrey. He had a day. He is special. Run game, pass game. I, I know we were joking, like if we were able to get him on the on the field for the interview, if he emu- emulates his dad or his brother more uh, with his skills. But it, yeah. it was evident that he was showing some Ed McCaffrey run blocking 20 yards down the field um, on like an outside zone run. And he just carried his his corner all the way, you know, into the middle of the field, blew him up out of the play. So tons of wide receivers. He also did uh, the return drills. I thought that was pretty important to note is what wide receivers and running backs are doing the return drills as well, because that's just versatility, more, you know, more things that you can add to his plate at the NFL level. So you had McCaffrey, you had Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, uh, Jacob Cowling from Arizona. Um, and wrote, what did you wrote, think of Leggett? Someone in the chat is asking about Leggett. I happen to notice. Oh, somebody's him. asking about Leggett. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so that was American How practice. So that was the second. That was the second practice of the day. He had a good extension catch on the sideline. I forget who he was going up against one on one. It was a seven on seven drill, but it was a man man rep. He was out on the sideline. He made really good extension. I think the ref called him out of bounds by like half a foot or whatever it was. So he he flashed to me, but he is also a player that flash when you put him up on on film and you watch him because although South Carolina had him listed at 6'3", he came in at like 6'1", almost 6'1 and a half. Yeah. Still explosive. Still a very strong, powerful player. Won a bunch of times down the field. I know the quarterbacks weren't always accurate when it was his rep one-on-one, but he got the better of the DBs for, for the majority of the American practice today. 
Yeah, and um, just to throw out a couple other guys from the from the national that, that stood out to me. Um, Theo Johnson, tight end from Penn State, made some big plays. Um, had, mm-hmm. a, had a nice had a nice play one on one, sort of a a ball that floated a little bit high, and he he went up, elevated, got it, fingertip grab with a defender in the area. Um, nice job by him. AJ Barner is a guy I said I was looking forward to watching. Didn't see much of him today, unfortunately. Um, I. I think his ability is a his his game as a blocker is there's no questions there. It's his ability to to separate and make plays in the passing game, and hopefully see a little bit more of that tomorrow. Cole Bishop from Utah, um, flash for me the safety guy. Honestly, I've not watched much of um, before today, and he uh, uh, probably three or four times I found myself saying, "Who's number eight? Who's number eight? You know, and I looked him up and I, I recognized the name, and I thought he's a player I've not watched enough of, but I thought he looked really good today. Um, Luke McCaffrey, you mentioned, really nice fingertip grab over the middle. The downfield blocking, you just expect to see it, that DNA, right? His, that was one of the things his father was no, so well-known for, even even with all the 1,000-yard seasons and the productions. One of the reasons those Denver teams were such good running teams and they broke so many big runs with Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey, both those guys blocking guys down the field, so not really a surprise to see Luke McCaffrey kind of following in his father's footstep. Uh, Rasheen Ali had himself a really good day. Mm-hmm. Um, saw him make plays as a runner, as a receiver. Great, had a great double move as a receiver. Kind of left, you know, embarrassed the corner, left him a good five, 10 yards behind him and, and made a catch on a deep ball. And Roman Wilson also, Roman Wilson, I think, had the deepest catch of the day um, on a, a deep pass down the middle, like right down the middle of the field up the seam. And uh, and he hauled that in. He got easily got behind the defense. Really just just a sort of toughest nails receiver. If you watch him at Michigan, he took some monster hits and hung in there. Um, you know, always got always popped back up, got back to the huddle. And just a playmaker um, who projects as a good slot at the next level. And I think um, Isaiah Adams, a guy that I was looking forward to watching, I saw him in the one-on-ones, and um, he did a really nice job there. Yeah, I was going to say, Isaiah Adams did stick out to me right at the end. I think it was individual drills. And same thing as, like, Gabe Hall. I felt like you hear the pop in the pads when he was, you know, coming up out of his stance. Uh, we do have a question here from Joe. Uh, Bo Nick's arm strength is top tier. Did, it, did you notice? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really notice too many of the quarterbacks. They weren't making spectacular was- plays. It was so many checkdowns. And, and yeah, so a lot of the seven-on-sevens were checkdowns to the running backs. Uh, they weren't really stretching the field, throwing outside the numbers too, too much. Nobody was. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of short passing. So nobody really stuck out from that perspective. Um, but Bo Nix did speak this morning uh, at the introductory press conference with Jim Nagy, um, as well as Chris a- Aswell, I believe, from Alabama. Raswell. Raswell, Raswell. So those two spoke, and uh, – you, you gained a lot from hearing Bo speak. I think it shows that he played in the, the college ranks for quite a few years. His maturity is, is up there, you know. Um, but, no, I don't think anybody stood out from a performance standpoint at the quarterback position to me. Yeah, apologize for the echo. I think I'm in a bigger room and we're getting a little echo, and Jimmy just commented on that. So maybe mm-hmm. if I lower my voice, that'll help and not be such a loud, obnoxious New Yorker. Um, One person we did leave off the list, though, Peyton Wilson, our guy. Uh, Glenn's yes. guy for sure, but now he's our guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> we ended up uh, getting a couple questions with him after after the first practice, but his just diagnosing of plays, his speed, his reaction time, his just everything was night and day compared to most of the linebackers standing next to him. So Peyton Wilson, I mean, I don't know how people have linebacker ranked currently, but if he's number one, off the board at the linebacker position as far as, you know, stack linebacker, not, you know, three, four linebacker outside. 
um, I think Peyton Wilson wouldn't be a surprise to be the first one off. I, and and if um, late in the day they did flash the numbers on the board for who had the the fastest forty times or the fastest play times, and he was the number two linebacker. I missed who number one was, but Peyton Wilson hit nineteen, just over nineteen miles per hour, mm-hmm. and he just and look, I said I think he's going to run the fastest forty at the combine of all the linebackers. Um, you know, seemed like a sort of humble blue collar work ethic type guy um and speaking to him you know we talked to him about his you asked him about his you know how he'd mentioned Luke Keekley as someone he liked to model his game after and he talked about having met Keekley and worked with him a little bit and um and of course you know I kind of mentioned I mentioned to him his his former teammate Drake Thomas being in the league this year said he still talks to Thomas on a regular basis because if, if you watch and if you watch NC State over the last last sort of three years four years because Wilson did miss some time with injury, which which gave him inter- interesting perspective, right? He he talked about one of the reasons he plays as hard as he does is because you don't know when your last play will be because he did miss a full season with an injury. Um, but he said that, you know, Drake Thomas um, and Thayer, his brother, who's a receiver, um, they all played together at NC State. And he just talked about that mentality and, and how they, they really do go all out. To me, Wilson's a far more talented player than Thomas. Thomas is good. I liked him coming out. Didn't have the physical measurables, you know, ran in the four sixes or whatever it was, but just gives that all out effort. Um, he, you know, Wilson talked about the amount of film they watch, you know, 11, 12 hours of film per week. So he's, you know, he does a good job of diagnosing and anticipating what the offense is going to do, which enables him to make plays. And he just said his mindset is if, if they run 90 plays, I want to get 90 tackles. Um, and I don't like coming off the field. And they, uh, like, as I've said before, I've I've shared the clip a couple times. I think it was against FSU um, when he chased the running back down from behind. Now he caught him because somebody else got in front of the running back and slowed him down. But just watching him run stride for stride and even a little faster than the running back for a good 50, 60 yard stretch. Peyton Wilson is absolutely gives everything he's got and the physical traits are there. So I've been a big fan for a couple of years. Nice to talk to him today. And he's a guy I think could also be a monster on specials if, if a team wants to put him in that spot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to keep jumping around, but another name that did stick out to me and elite first name, Dylan Lobb, running back from New Hampshire. I thought he was just a natural runner through the hole. And I mean, this is a small school guy. I, Dom C, our, our buddy Dom C, Shout out to him, told me that he is a Long Island native, so that is cool, you know, you know, it cuts down on the moving costs if he was a draft pick for the Jets, but uh, yeah, I thought he was a, a smooth runner through the hole, he was wearing an awkward clunky number 40 jersey, so it was kind of weird, but he did stick out a couple times on a few runs, so um, had to shout out him, um, Marshawn Lloyd, another running back who I mentioned a couple weeks USC, ago on the yeah. show, he was pretty good today, so. But, I mean, the best USC guy was obviously Brendan Rice here. But um, I think we need to talk about another offensive lineman who also raised eyebrows as much as Fuaga, and that was Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from Oregon. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about what do we do with Tipman, and obviously we know he's one of our best five, but is he going to be our center or is he going to be our left or right guard? And I think if you were to get a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson, you could totally make Tipman your, your guard moving forward. So I liked what I saw from him and just having him and Fuaga at the same practice at the same time was really exciting for, for the people in the stands. Yeah, it was, um, th- there were some offensive linemen, especially I felt like the American team, the second practice, I thought they were 
an even stronger group. Um, the D linemen weren't winning a lot of reps, and there were some good D linemen in that group. You, you know, mm-hmm. you, you had McKinley Jackson, you had uh, Tavondre Sweat. There were some good D linemen, and um, and those guys did win some reps. You know, Sweat and Jet. You know, they didn't get shut out. But the the, the O line, we talked about how you know those drills really do favor the defensive guys because they get to dictate where the action goes. Um, the, the offensive lineman has to react to it, but they did a, a phenomenal job up front. Um, uh, you want you want to kick off with your notes on the American side, Dylan, and then I'll do it, and then I'll do the American. Yeah, sure. Give me one second. If you want, I can jump off with the American stuff. And no, you're fine. I just wanted to mute some of these spam comments in our in our live chat here. Uh, yeah. So this, I had more notes on quarterback. I thought Joe Milton did pretty well. He was a little bit more decisive than the other quarterbacks, getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. Um, Rattler, he had a pick in the 11 on 11 period to end practice, Mm -hmm. which was pretty ugly. Um, But yeah, I think you mentioned it, his name, Tyler Guyton. He was one of the best offensive tackles on the entire day. And I know we just raged about Fuaga for a little bit, but Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma absolutely proved himself too. Again, this is another guy who was playing right tackle. I don't know if people have him, you know, listed as somebody who can flip over to the left side. But it doesn't matter. We saw the report from Samini today. The Jets are going to acquire at least two offensive tackles via free agency and or draft. Um, I feel like that's also been known by Jets yeah, fans that that's, that needs that's one, to that's happen. That's one of those things they have to. Like yeah, nothing against Samini, but I don't think any Jets fan needed anyone to tell us that. Yeah, um, and, it's, and that's it's, an, nothing against Carter Warren or Max Mitchell. Yeah, but they're no, they're not guys that we're no, going to well, start. I, I, I think there's a I think. I think Warren's far more likely than Mitchell. Um, mm-hmm. Mitchell, I just think, is overmatched. Carter Warren, you know, was coming yeah. back from that injury. Um, but, uh, yeah, Guyton, it, it was funny. You know, typical um, – as I was watching him, I, I said – because I said going into this week, Dylan, he was one of the guys I was most looking forward to watching because of the way Oklahoma runs their offense. You just don't see him have to sustain blocks. Like, I wanted to see him one-on-one and have enough hold the guy off for three plus seconds. Um, and he did it. He had several reps in a row where he just dominated. And then as soon as I commented on it, he got smoked on a spin move where he was literally doing the, like looking around, like where'd that guy go? Um, so, you know, not a perfect day for Guyton, but he, he, I was, I was happy with what I saw because I was, I was hoping, um, you know, that there'd be another tackle on the board for the jets. Should they look to trade down? Um, which I don't know that they will. I, I don't think it would be a bad idea, but you want as many quality tackles as possible to choose from if you're going to move down to the teens or the 20s. Yeah, and I think that was a question here from the Highlander Prime. If there isn't a can't-miss uh, O-line player at 10, do you guys think the Jets should trade back for extra picks? And, I mean, obviously it depends on what their board looks like, but if they don't see a guy fit for the 10th overall pick, they, they might move back. Um, but then again, if you move back to, like, 15 – hoping to still get one of these offensive linemen, like hypothetically say you're targeting Troy Fontenau, a guy who pulled out a senior bowl, but he's listed more as a guard that could play tackle. If you were targeting him at 15 and you move back from 10 to 15, and then he gets taken at 14, you're going to look stupid. And you might as well have just taken the guy at 10 anyway. So you kind of play, uh, don't try to get too cute with it, I guess you could say. But yeah, if there's an offensive lineman at 10, I mean, don't, don't move, just take the guy with, and hopefully you have conviction in him. Um, another offensive tackle, though, that I wanted to highlight was Patrick Paul from Houston. Obviously not as well-known as the Guytons and the Fuagas of the world, but the first thing I wrote was just sheer size. Huge. And then, like, w- when you see the guy that stands out over all the guys, that's a big dude. And you could see yeah. his helmet 
like well above everyone else in that sea of linemen. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying he's, you know, the next Dewan Jones, but that's the type of vibe you got from Dewan Jones last year at Senior Bowl was he came in towering over everybody and it showed. Like obviously he's just a big physical dude. And Patrick Paul, I think obviously he's not like as physical as a Dewan Jones, but the first rep that they had, it was just runs on air but they had the linemen moving in space and he was able to get out of his stance and just move into the open field super quick. Obviously, again, no defense, so you don't know exactly what he's doing, but he looked fast out of his stance and fast in the open. So if you're running an outside zone scheme, which the Jets like to do, that's the type of stuff that you want from your offensive tackle. So so Patrick Paul was another one I wanted to highlight. Um, flipping over to the D-line, you had McKinley Jackson just – big just big dude and he was wearing number three and he had like long windbreaker pants on too so he really stuck out and just looked even bigger because he was wearing pants but he was clogging up the middle for the defense on the american side um like i said i watched a lot of wide receiver dbs so jamari thrash from louisville he had some good reps he high pointed a pass uh down the field um obviously lad mcconkey we know we know what he can do. He was routing everybody up. Mm-hmm. He was unguardable. We have a comment saying Roman Wilson looked unguardable. I was and touch yeah, on that. yeah. He, was he definitely did look unguardable for sure. Lad McConkey kind of looked the same in the American practice. Like I think he won three or four straight reps. Nobody was really able to to contain him. Uh, his route running in and out of breaks was pretty smooth. Um, and you you knew when you got down to the field for player interviews, Lad McConkey was going to be swarmed by media. Yeah. And he was. You weren't able to get to him. So, Lad McConkey had himself a nice day. Um, his teammate, Rosemary Jack Saint, he had, a, he had a good day as well. Um, he's obviously Georgia. And then I had one more name. Oh, Tavondre Sweat, a, a big guy from Texas, interior defensive line that we've talked about on the show for sure. I know Glenn has. Uh, so, yeah, between Tavondre Sweat and McKinley Jackson in the middle for the American practice, they had some some big run stuffers, some potential Al Woods replacements for the Jets. If you, if you want to look at it from that perspective, so definitely definitely tons of guys on both sides of the ball that stuck out to me in both practices. Yeah, um, just taking a quick look at some of the names I wrote down here, um, and some of them appear multiple times, which is good. Like that, I just try to jot down who stood out, and when you start mm-hmm. seeing a guy's name over and over again, that's obviously a good thing. Um, a guy who I wrote several times and we spoke to him after their practice was Arkansas center Bo Limmer. Um, this is a guy who can play center and guard. I, I watched him very early in the year. And I think I, t- because I like Ricky Stromberg last year. So Arkansas was on early in the season. And I thought, okay, let's see who's taking his, his place. And it was Bo Limmer who had previous experience at guard. He then moved into center, had himself a really good year and had himself a really good practice today. Um, really stood out to me. Layden Robinson, another one, a guard from Texas A&M. A bunch of really good reps. You're going to hear me name a bunch of offensive linemen, but that's just kind of how it went. You know, I said to Dom C while we were sitting there, I said, is it my imagination or the offensive linemen winning almost all of these reps? And it was like, yeah, they're just the the old linemen are having a good day um, with the second group. Um, Guyton, who we've already mentioned. um, Let's see. uh, Even uh, Jeremy Flax from Kentucky, who I think has some movement issues. I don't think he's sort of maybe – Maybe he might be suited for guard. I don't know if he'll play on the outside at the pro level. Um, not as powerful as you would think. You know, I'm watching him on Kentucky. I see these plays where they're pulling him, and he's taking on guys who he outweighs by 50, 60 pounds. And, and like, 
he's not blowing them away the way you would expect him to. Um, so I don't know if he's got to get stronger or whatever it is, but, um, he, but he had a really good day today. So, you know, give credit where it's due. Um, let's see who else. Um, we, oh, Chris Abrams drain the cornerback. Mm-hmm. The cornerback had a couple of at least one PBU, and he, he had some really tight coverage. I think he's he's probably one of the more underrated corners in this class. McKinley Jackson, I've got down, of course, mentioned him a few times already. Uh, Javon Foster, a guy that I've been talking up quite a bit in recent weeks. Um, you know, just as I, I keep saying it, SEC, so he's playing top-level competition consistently. He's played a million reps. Um a little bit sloppy at times, a little bit off balance, but looked really good today. Um, held had again had some reps against some some good D linemen. I actually just saw a clip, but I don't know who sent it out. Um, but you know, you hear that you know it was one of those clips that someone sent out and said volume up, you know, because it was at the thunderous collision and and Foster holds his own and just you know gets upright, gets his hands on the on the rusher and and doesn't budge. So did a really nice job there, and he had you know he had several good reps. Um, again, Sweat we've mentioned. Um, let's see, McKinley Jackson we've mentioned. Um, Layden Robinson, see a, a lot of them, and this is a good thing. Again, these are sort of seeing these names over and over. Layden Robinson, Javon Foster, Javon Foster. Um, let's see. The Alabama, South Alabama quarterback. I don't even remember his name. Carter Bradley. Carter Bradley. I, I talked to someone about him the other day. I said, I haven't watched him yet. And the first time I see him is probably going to be a practice. And it was. And listen, it's practice. It's not full speed. I get it. But all the quarterbacks were under the same conditions. And I thought in terms of decision-making, getting the ball out, um, getting, you know, getting the ball out quickly. He did a really good job of that. He had a, he had one or two throws where he had the really sort of almost sidearm adjusted arm angle and threw an accurate ball. So for my first exposure to him, I came away thinking, all right, you know, he's maybe he's a day three UDFA type, but there's something there. Like he's processing quickly. He's acting quickly. Um, and he's able to get rid of the ball. So that jumped out to me. Yeah. And, I felt like, Sorry, before, because th- this is my last one. I got to mention him because he's one of my guys, too. Um, Bo Braid, safety from Maryland, had himself a really good day. And he, one of those players kind of I've, – I've said similar things about him and Evan Williams. Williams, I didn't see you as much from today. But those two guys, when, you know, when Williams was at Fresno State and Braid, his time in Maryland, I just feel like every time I watch those games, those guys made plays. And you just – at some point you say, these guys are doing something right. Like, they're always impacting the game. And we saw – I think I think an interception from Braid today, um, or at least I think it was a PBU. He had a PBU, mm-hmm. um, and he had a, a what would have been a run stop in the backfield because even though they weren't tackling to the ground, they they were going hard. Yeah. They they were acting like dudes who were trying to get drafted, and they and the coaches were letting them. So it was great. It was it was it was a lot more physical than I anticipated. And uh, Braid will be the last guy I mentioned who I thought did a really good job today. Yeah, I think the most shouted words from coaching staffs on the field today was stay up because <laughs> everybody was trying to tackle to the ground. And I mean, you're trying to show show out. You're trying to show what you can do. So, yeah, you're going to tackle these guys to the ground if you have the chance. Uh, just touching back on the quarterbacks, specifically the American roster, you have Spencer Rattler from South Carolina, Joe Milton from Tennessee, Michael Pratt from Tulane, and then Carter Bradley, who you just mentioned, who was playing in his home field at, at uh, Whitney Hancock Stadium, which might have given him a little bit of comfortability and a little bit of edge today. But I thought the name of the game was efficiency for these guys, getting the ball out quick. Like I said, it was a lot of checkdowns and a lot of hit, like sink routes, uh, sit routes to the running backs, rather, and uh, 
I just thought it was an efficient practice other than Spencer Rattler's interception in 11 on 11 period. And we've talked about it at nauseum. You have Aaron Rodgers, you're going to get a capable veteran backup and then your quarterback three, that should probably be a day three draft pick from this class. Who's a developmental guy. And I think all four of these names would fit the bill, not saying, Oh, let's go get them. Like they're great players. They're going to be the jets future, but all these guys would fit into that bucket Rattler. Yes. He's got, some maturity question marks that are going to need to be ironed out throughout this process and the combine process. But what we saw from Oklahoma Spencer Rattler and what we saw from South Carolina Spencer Rattler have been, you know, night and day in in a positive way. Uh, Joe Milton, obviously Tennessee, I thought he looked the best. You said Carter Bradley looked the best, but I think Joe Milton probably looked the best, but that doesn't mean he's going to look the best all week. And then Michael Pratt, shout out Chris Schubert, his guy here. Um, I didn't really get too many notes on him, but he, again, efficient, just kind of under the radar with these guys. So maybe one of these guys is going to separate by the end of the week. Um, I think the national team is pretty far ahead in terms of talent when they have a Bo Nix, a Michael Penix, and a Sam Hartman. But I don't know. These guys, to me, are like in the range of what the Jets should be looking at on a day three developmental pick. I don't want to waste a pick in the first three rounds on quarterback. To me, that's just, especially no, when you don't have a second, not it's, it's not gonna happen. it doesn't make sense. So yeah, you're looking outside the top 100. And I think any of these guys could fit the bill with, with more strong performances this week. Yeah. And you know, the, there will be other guys too. There are other quarterbacks, UDFA types mm-hmm. um, who aren't here in mobile this week, but they're at the East West shrine or they're just not at any all-star game. Um, and they, they have to take one at some point. Um, to bring along. And I think that'll happen. A um, couple comments on Tipman. Bob says he wants to see Tipman stay at guard. Charles said he mm-hmm. should stay at center. Um, so we're going to set up a steel cage and let those two duke it out. And whoever wins will determine where Tipman plays. Honestly, it, I'm happy. The guy can play center. He can play guard. If you get a Powers Johnson or Cedric Van Pran, who I think those are the two best centers in this class, as far as I'm concerned, if you get a guy like that, just whatever the team believes is best, I would be thrilled with those with, with a Tipman and a Powers Johnson or Van Pran on the same roster and just work them, whoever those two are, work them at guard and center, may the best man win and go from there. I love Tipman at center, but if they feel like he's better at guard and another, you know, the center they draft is better, whatever, just make it happen and, uh, and bring back, bring back McGovern as an insurance policy while you're at it. Yeah. And I was just about to say, I feel like listening to you explain all of that, it kind of solidifies my opinion on where I want Tipman to play. I want Tipman to be a guard because, like you said, you want to bring back a McGovern, and maybe McGovern isn't your starter, but even if McGovern was your starter, you would have McGovern and then Tipman at right or left guard. God forbid Connor McGovern gets hurt, you would obviously just slide Tipman over and elevate a guard up to starting. But most teams don't carry a true center-only backup. So if you had a guy like Tipman who was you were going to play him at center no matter what happens, no matter who else is on your roster. And then you bring back a guy like McGovern, even if it is a veteran minimum deal, like he really is, I guess McGovern's not a true center, but he's much better at center. So that's kind of the, the catch 22 for me is you want a guy with versatility as your backup center because true center backups are few and far between. I feel like Cam Jurgens was the only one on an NFL roster for a long time. And I feel like even the Eagles, felt pressured to get him reps at guard because they knew that having a true center backup isn't necessarily the most beneficial thing to build your offensive line with. 
Yeah, and Highlander Prime says here in the chat, and this is interesting, Dylan, because it can segue into something that a conversation you had with a former staffer at Florham Park. Mm -hmm. um, the Jets and JD have failed terribly with QB development and the offense at large over the last six years. Um, looking past Aaron, I don't trust this Jets regime to do anything good with the development of QB. Well, here's the thing, Highlander Prime. Um, one, you're not wrong. They failed with the Zach Wilson situation. Dylan will elaborate on that in a second. Um, but it's it, th they're 0 for 1, basically. They drafted a quarterback. They failed. I mean, I'm not even counting James Morgan. Um, he was uh, he was a bad pick, and that's when Gase was the head coach. So I imagine he had some input there. Um, but they failed once. Like, I, I, I don't I don't think you abandon ship after a guy fails one time. Um, you get him another shot. The Greg Knapp situation, of course, did not help. We were discussing that earlier. So there was an unfortunate circumstance. The Jets certainly could have done better. Um, and Joe Douglas did acknowledge that. He said, you know, yeah, maybe Zach wasn't ready. Maybe we should have brought in a veteran. So hopefully that's Joe Douglas learning on the job and being like, you know what? Maybe I should not worry about a kid feeling pressured and bring someone in here to help him along. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, what the Jets do there. But Dylan, what, what did it, the conversation you had with that former staffer? Yeah. So um, he was an intern in Robert Sala's first season. So that would be 2021. Um, I don't exactly want to say his role because I feel yeah. like if I say yeah. what he did for the team, they, they'll try to get this guy in trouble. But he basically asked my thoughts on the Zach Wilson situation and what I thought and and when I got done saying my little bit, he looked at me and he's like, from inside the building, I think they screwed it up. Like, they screwed him up. It wasn't a matter of Zach Wilson, you know, let down the team. I genuinely think that he felt the team let him down in the fullest way. Um, obviously, that starts with Greg Knapp. That's a tragedy. You can't, you know, no, nothing you can do there. You obviously could have hired a, a new mind, uh, old-minded coach to help Zach because Mike LaFleur wasn't going to sit there and spoon feed the offense to Zach Wilson. You needed somebody who like a senior offensive assistant to do that with Zach Wilson. Um, and obviously Knapp was going to, so that was the first, you know, red flag, so to speak, was not replacing him. But you also gave the, this 21 year old kid from Provo, Utah, the keys to New York and said no competition. Like you don't have a backup behind you. That's going to push you if you start messing up. And we saw like, he just had full reign of the offense and he really couldn't grasp it. And I still think he struggles to this day because of a lot of things that happened in year one of his career. That's not to say that Zach Wilson would be a pro bowl perennial pro bowl, all pro player with Greg Knapp and a veteran backup quarterback. I still think his mental processing and the speed at which he plays from the pocket and his pocket awareness in general is going to prohibit him from being anything good long-term, but to hear somebody inside the building or who was inside the building tell me just, you know, without me asking his opinion, say, I think that they screwed him up. It's kind of tough. You don't really like hearing that from your team because you want to believe that the team did everything they could for every single player on the team. But as we've known throughout the years, that's not always the case. And the team does have a lot of, you know, things to be blamed for. And I think, no, I'm not a Zach Wilson apologist, and I don't like Zach Wilson really at all, and I've made that quite clear, but it's pretty obvious when you look at the, the timeline of things that they could have done a lot better with Zach Wilson. So it was interesting to hear him say that. Uh, you, you also had a conversation with an NFL person, uh, not with the Jets, but about a former Jet. So what, what was your experience like with that guy? 
Yeah, uh, just a just a brief chat with uh, with a, an NFL executive, and he was talking about how, um, you know, when I told him I was with Jet Nation, um, we started throwing around names, and he mentioned having been getting ready to play Cleveland and scouting. I asked him what his thoughts were on Elijah Moore, um, which it's funny. It's it's funny be, if you think about this. You just talked about Zach, who you didn't like, and I liked. And now I'm going to talk about Elijah Moore, who I won't say I didn't, who I soured on him by the time he left, but you were huge, you were a huge fan. Yes. Um, and, and I, I basically said, you know, I didn't, I didn't start by saying I'm, I'm not a big fan of his, but I just said, look, you know, Elijah Moore is a guy who Jets fans, because of the way his time ended here, Jets fans seem to dismiss the fact that he can be a good player, which I think he can, even though I don't think he's a good teammate. Um, and he just kind of shook his head and he was like, look, different guys are going to perform differently in different situations. And Elijah Moore, if you look at the way he played last year, you know, he's a good player. And, and it's, it, you know, I think he got off to a slow start in Cleveland, but it's funny. And we all do this to some degree. I try to police myself and make sure I don't, you know, contradict myself or whatever, but we'll look at Garrett Wilson and we'll say, look at the year he had. And that's so amazing when you consider the fact that he played with four different quarterbacks, this, that, and the other. But then when you say, well, Elijah Moore was, before he got hurt, was was having a really nice season and played with four different quarterbacks. Uh, I don't want to hear it. I don't. That's an excuse. I don't want to hear excuses. But we literally just said how impressive Garrett Wilson was because he played with four different quarterbacks. And he's playing with washed up Joe Flacco. I know he won a couple games. That was a nice story. Um, but Joe Flacco's washed. He's playing with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who I like a lot, but he's still a rookie. Uh, Deshaun Watson, who, who knows that guy's ever going to be what he was again. Um, so he didn't have a good situation in Cleveland. He did produce before he got hurt. And I think that he's a guy that, again, Jets fans, we, we do this thing where if we don't like a guy personally, we just assign like, well, well, he sucks because I don't like him. Well, it doesn't work that way. I'm, I'm not an Elijah Moore fan, but Elijah Moore is still a very good football player. And he, he kind of represents something like another thing Joe Douglas needs to get better at is – whoever's doing their, their background homework, their background checks on these guys, like stop taking guys who are more about themselves than the team because that's you drafted a very talented player who we should be sitting here talking about him as one of Joe Douglas's best picks. But instead, he's a good player on another team who got traded because of poor character. Yeah, I think Elijah I think Elijah Moore is like the quintessential talent isn't everything when you're in your draft evaluation and when you're guys like you and I and we're watching the all 22 and, you know, whatever public interviews are available from Elijah Moore or any other player, you only have limited information. You don't get to sit down with these guys and, and find out the character flaws in each of these individuals. So it is, it is pretty interesting to hear Elijah Moore, you know, and how he's viewed by some of the, the Jets, uh, you know, fan base, because yeah, he's a super talented player, but, all, like when you're in the locker room and you're causing these problems, it's 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 a tough call. But for Salah to call somebody an old soul and then just trade him away in like a year and a half, obviously Salah directly didn't trade him, but you could tell the way that Salah spoke about him. He liked him as a talent. Obviously the locker room stuff boiled over, but if I just I feel like if you gave him a, a confident veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, yeah, we'd be sitting here like look what our two wide receivers, Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore could do. And, and 
it's unfortunate the way it all unfolds. But yeah, when when you have talent that is over clouded by your character, it's it's going to end that way. For and the wide receiver position is very volatile that way. So. Yep, another another Jets case of what could have been. But uh, more from Mobile tomorrow, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking us out. Have a good one, Jets fans.